I mean, I think one of the things that always kind of inspired me about the original Star Wars films, when we're talking about episodes four through six. Um, I don't... I, 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 this is something that I, I want to get to, but I don't even call it... I, like, I'm, I'm making a conscious effort. I don't call it episode four. I don't call it A New Hope. I just call it Star Wars. That's what it was for the yes. first four years that it was... It wasn't until after The Empire Strikes Back that they came out and changed it. I've heard that George Lucas wanted to call it Star Wars A New Hope from the beginning because he did want to, it to feel like you were jumping in into the middle chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was a love letter to all of those serials well, that he, he That's watched. why it works. Exactly, exactly. And it was basically the studio. It was 20th Century Fox that were like, no, you're going to confuse people. Just call it Star Wars. And then when they released The Empire Strikes Back, which was subtitled Episode 5, <laughs> a lot of people just, ah! <laughs> wait, wait, there are three movies I didn't see yet. Where are they? Yeah, no, they, you weren't paying attention, were you? <laughs> <laughs> they came out. They're there. I'm going to regret this. Standing by. This is our rescue. I'm a Jedi. Like my father before me. Everything's perfectly alright now. We're fine. We're all fine here. No, thank you. How are you? Welcome back. It's the second episode of Dead Boffin Spies, a conversation about Star Wars in podcast form. I'm Ryan Daly, and this week I'll be joined by Paul Scavito. A couple years ago, Paul and I co-created the webcomic Red and Green. This comic is on hiatus right now, but it will return in the future. In the meantime, you can check out Red and Green on Tumblr at redandgreencomic.tumblr.com and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash redandgreenthecomic. I want to thank everyone who tuned in and listened to the first episode, and I already have a correction to make. There is a term called retroactive continuity, better known as retcon, where something in history or on record is changed after the fact. This is a very popular and sometimes necessary evil of serial fiction, such as comic books or the continuing saga of the Star Wars universe. In comics, characters' origins get retconned all the time, usually to make them more modern or current. In Star Wars, the events of the prequel trilogy retconned a lot of what fans knew about Star Wars history from the classic trilogy and the expanded universe. And here I need to retcon something from Dead Boffin Spies Episode 1, The Podcast Awakens. There was a joke from the TV show Family Guy that I only heard the day after the last episode was uploaded. As soon as I heard it, I knew it belonged as a drop-in during Angela Drew's discussion about the Force Awakens teaser. So... I want you to go back in your mind and imagine that last podcast episode went more like this. Okay, and the voice is over the top. It's too evil. This is an even bigger jackpot than when the Emperor figured out the formula for great Star Wars dialogue. Something, something, something dark side. Something, something, something complete. Pretty good joke, am I right? And totally worth the time spent explaining it beforehand, huh? 
Something I want to try to do throughout this podcast is avoid bashing The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. I hate these movies, but I didn't create this podcast to hate on them, or anything else. I'll try not to pile on the prequel films because, for one thing, I think it's low-hanging fruit. For another, almost every complaint I would hurl at the prequels has already been made far better than I could. Check out the Harry Plinkett reviews of the Star Wars prequels on YouTube or Red Letter Media to see how I feel about those films. But the other, possibly more important reason I don't want to bash on the prequels is because I don't want to alienate any potential listeners that do enjoy these movies. It's so much easier to simply not talk about them, so don't expect a lot of mentions of the prequels on this podcast. Except for now. Paul and I needed to talk about the prequels because I believe Star Wars Episodes 1, 2, and 3 were doomed to failure. It wouldn't have mattered who wrote and directed the films. They couldn't succeed. There were too many obstacles ranging from story chronology to audience to expectations and foreknowledge. And that's not limited to the Star Wars prequels. I think all prequels are cursed. This is a reality of any film or story that attempts to flesh out the backstory of a character or event by showing a story that takes place earlier chronologically. Is there an exception to this rule? Yes, I think you'll find one or two examples. But those exceptions are different types of films with different agendas that allow them to sidestep the traps of the prequel curse. But enough preamble. Let's get to my talk with Paul. I don't think prequels work, really. I mean, let's take a story that I I think fits this model pretty well, Mm -hmm. which is The Hobbit. Right. Right. And if we take it in its literary form, Mm -hmm. right, not the films, Mm -hmm. but... The Hobbit, now, if you encounter the Lord of the Rings first, right, right, and you read through them and you enjoy that story, um, and then you encounter Mm -hmm. The Hobbit, Mm -hmm. it does function as what I think a prequel should do, right? Which is that it should take some element of the main story that Mm -hmm. you enjoyed or that was left unclear, Mm -hmm. um, and it should enhance our understanding mm-hmm. um, or add comple- layers of complexity mm-hmm. um, or interest to um, the characters or the situation that we run into later. So that our experience, so what I, what I think a good prequel should do is it should enrich our experience in what would be the main storyline, right? And so that we can see the, um, the sort of hidden meaning, you know, the the extra layers of complexity that are actually going on in the story that when we see a character making a decision and we're not entirely sure why he made that the first time through, we're like, oh, the reason he made that decision is because we learned back in the prequels what he really cares about or what she cares about is is this. And so that's what I think a good prequel should do. Enhance the what is the main story. And with, I think, the with, you know, if you're taking The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, the main story is The Lord of the Rings. Right. You know, um, if we take the Star Wars universe, you know, can I make the argument that the prequels enhance my understanding of Vader, mm-hmm. which is what we should emerge with, right? Because it really is, it's Anakin's story. The prequels are Anakin's story. And so what I should get into the prequels with is mm-hmm. when I see Vader acting, mm-hmm. what I should be able to do is I should go back to the prequels and go, oh, okay. The reason he's making this decision is because of something I learned in those previous films. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, I don't know that I get that. I don't know that. And that gets to part of my problem yeah. is because is the, the classic Star Wars trilogy 
first of all, is it Darth Vader's story? I would say no, it's no, not. It's, it's not. Luke Skywalker's story. Right. You can you could say that part a big part of that is the Luke and Vader relationship, but that really doesn't come into play until the end of the second movie. He's just the villain until the last twenty minutes of the second part of that story, and then everything we know about them is messed up. Right. So I think I, I don't know if you can have the prequel tell Anakin's story to justify the decisions he makes as Darth Vader, obviously without giving away who Darth Vader is and spoiling one of the most yep. shocking revelations in film history, which is in that, in that moment in The Empire Strikes Back. And for people who grew up with the classic trilogy, we consider The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith the prequels. They come before what we know. But that terminology, they're really only prequels to us. To us for That's for right. this generation. Because everybody else, if there's a seven year old kid who's gonna start watching Star Wars, what movie is he gonna start watching? Right, the gonna... first episode one, because yeah. it's called episode one. Yeah. So by the time he gets to Empire Strikes Back, he's seen Yoda, so he's not he doesn't have that magic when Luke first realizes that this diminutive little green freak is the Jedi Master. And we know his connection to the main the main villain. Right. So I think making the prequel trilogy about Anakin Skywalker was itself the problem. I don't think if you want to maintain the the magic of those moments of those revelations later on, you've got to keep Yoda, I think, and Anakin off the table. Well, I think you want to tell a story in these prequels, and I think you know that's sort of the question: is what story do you want to tell us? Because you can tell a good story, right? You sure. know, and you know, in the Star Wars universe, and I think there's room to go back into the past, mm-hmm. you know, in these stories and give us some details that are exciting. And I think what, if you're looking at father figures for Luke, I would pick Obi Wan over Anakin mm-hmm. as the character that I spend time with. Sure, right? Give me Obi Wan's story, yeah. right? And boy, right? And mm-hmm. then when I see Obi-Wan, and I've seen the decisions that he's made, and the path that he had to take, and mm-hmm. how difficult his journey was, right? And you also, you don't have to give me all of Obi-Wan's story. No. Right? right. I, I don't need to see Obi-Wan from six to, sure. like, when he, you know, right. ends up, you know, ostracized, or whatever it is, you know, he's no longer in the bureaucracy of running um, <laughs> the Jedi universe. Um, pushing paper. But the... Um, <laughs> Like, you can just, you can give me a story from Obi-Wan's past, right? A really cool, fun story, you know? And I think, I think the Clone Wars, just based on that, like, little phrase name-dropped in Star Wars, would have been a great place to explore this, um, because that was, that was the one thing that we, he on. And that's why I think a, a lot of people love the Clone Wars animated series that came out, because... That's what it was. It was just it was a lot of action. It was about Jedi being Jedi and the 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 events and a lot of people like those much more than the movies. Um, and I think I think absolutely that's true. And I think you could keep you could find him meeting Anakin Skywalker and you could show their training and their their trust and their friendship. I think you have to cut short before we see Anakin's fall. Um, yeah. Actually, you don't have to end the third one as a downer. It doesn't have to be so... It doesn't... Like, I think Revenge of the Sith was trying to be... 
I mean, just like everybody failed, everybody died. Like there, were, like all, all the good in the universe. And I get that. That's what the starting point is in Star Wars. Like when we first see, it's a dark time for the galaxy. The rebels are on the run. Like this evil empire has taken over. Yeah, but here's the thing: is I don't think that the prequels set up the empire at all. No. Where is the empire in the prequels? Out there fighting, doing something. Well, I mean, it's, it's not an empire until the very end. Right, but yeah. we don't even get this sort of establishment of right. of that. If right. that's what we're building right. towards, we also don't understand what why it's a problem. Why the empire is bad. Right. Um, other than the fact that the leader is this evil, tyrannical wizard. They they did create this army in order to protect people. Sure. To bring order to the galaxy. Yep. Good things. You have to show me why that's a bad thing. You have to show me the oppression that goes with that for me to understand that, oh yeah, this empire does need to be taken down. Right. Because all those people have jobs. Sure. Right? They're probably <laughs> making good money <laughs> working on the Death Star. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, War but... is big for business. Yeah. War brings people out of... You know, depressions and not like mental depressions, but like great depressions. <laughs> One of the fundamental problems mm-hmm. is that every prequel is in essence a sequel. Yes. Right? In film. If it is presented as a prequel, because otherwise it is just chapter one. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so because we wouldn't refer to And oftentimes they 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 kind of depend on the audience's foreknowledge of certain things. And that's where they that's where they'll trip you up if you start watching them in what should be chronological order. Right. Like, The Phantom Menace doesn't tell you what a Jedi or the Force is. Right. You just uh, they assume you know. Because... Right, because everybody who's seen that movie knows what the Jedi and the Force are. Yeah. But again, a kid who's seven years old today, watching that movie for the first time... I mean, we'd actually have this discussion about if there was in film a prequel that we could point to that was successful... And I still can't think of one. <laughs> so I actually, uh, yeah, I, I wikipedia a list of prequels, um, and it gave me a bunch that I didn't even think about. But, like, some of the notable ones. Okay, so the Star Wars prequels, mm-hmm. which I don't think work for a number of reasons. Right. The Hobbit trilogy. Yep. Prometheus. Which I have a lot of problems with on its own merits, because I don't think it follows its own logic. Right. Um, or anyone else's. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's that's absolutely absolutely spot on accurate what I was thinking. But even that, like about twenty minutes into that movie, mm-hmm. I forgot I was watching an alien prequel mm-hmm. because it didn't feel like an alien prequel. That's because of yeah. And then it reminded me it was an alien prequel mm-hmm. at the very end mm-hmm. in a way that made no sense and made me hate Alien. <laughs> <laughs> So that wasn't good. I, I consider that one a failure as a prequel. Yeah. Oh, there were a couple of others. But, so two that I think kind of worked as, at least as enjoyable movies. One, and this one is kind of a cheat, is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Took place two years before Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, on a chronological timeline, technically that one came first. That would be an earlier chapter. Now, that one avoided some of those pitfalls because you can watch those movies in any sequence, or at least those two. I think right. Last Crusade you have to watch after. Right. But you can watch either of those movies in either order, and it doesn't make a difference because it's only one character. And 
the Temple of Doom is not explaining things that happen Correct. in Raiders of Lost. It's just another adventure with the same character. The other one I want to get your thought on is X-Men First Class. Mm. I enjoyed the movie. I did, yep. I mean, we had problems with it. Sure, like, yeah, yeah. But, but not, interesting. not plot problems, really. Like, not, it, didn't, it didn't ruin anything about the other X-Men movies. And here, I think, is part of the reason why that we were, what we were talking about earlier. Is the main part of the X-Men movies, at least that trilogy, seemed to have been this focus on, other than, other than Wolverine's story, right. the focus was on Magneto right. and Xavier. Mm-hmm. That was very clear, and it wasn't mysterious. We knew that they had this fallout, and we knew that it was a philosophical fallout. Mm-hmm. X-Men First Class shows that. Yeah. And doesn't deviate from that. No, no, it doesn't. But it's not spoiling anything that we see. Like, it doesn't ruin because they're already on the outs. Mm-hmm. And we kind of know why. Like, we don't, we don't get the exact scene that made them right. break up. Right, right, right. But we know that they, they used to be friends and now they're not. Because they've got different views on the, the, how mutants should exist in society. I think that might work. Yeah, but I... I mean, so here's, like, so going back to what I originally described, what I think right. makes a good prequel, right, right, is that it should help us, it should enhance our understanding of the main story. Right. Right? And I think I would argue that that does. Mm-hmm. Right? That we walk into those films and we see this animosity of the later films I'm talking about. Right, right. right. And we see this animosity between um, Magneto um, and Xavier, mm-hmm. and we get it. Mm-hmm. And we're like, Okay. These guys, and it hurts, and, and this is great, right? So it does, it enriches our experience because they were friends. Right. Right? And especially when we see them returning to, like, the scenes where they're playing chess, yep. right? right? Yep. And we're like, they are, like, this friendship has actually kind of somehow endured or been reborn, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, sort of come back up because they were friends. Right. Right? And it's not because they were mortal enemies their whole life and they've come to some sort of friendly understanding. Right. No, they were friends right. and and loved each other, mm-hmm. right? And cared about each other mm-hmm. and had this falling out and it hurt both of them, yep. right? And there's regret um, on both sides. And I, and I think those those are the types of layers that I'm talking about that would help a good that would help a prequel to be successful, which is we don't get from the Star Wars. So good example. Good yeah. So could we apply that to Star Wars? Like what would it take what is the lesson from that that could have been used for Star Wars to make episodes one, two, and three work? So I guess it's the question of... I guess if, if, if the prequel, if it's going back to explain some kind of backstory, mm-hmm. yep. what is the story that you want to explain? What is the story in the Star Wars universe that could have been told that would have enriched your experience of Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi without necessarily spoiling some of the important moments. I think it's... I think it's, it's Obi-Wan's, Obi-Wan's story. story. And yeah. I think it's... We could see the parallel. We could see him yeah. learning to become a Jedi, and we yeah. could see him befriending Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. Um, but I think you need to stop short of... of yeah, I think that... I, mean, like, I, don't, I don't think you can show the fall of the Jedi Knights. I don't think you can show them being wiped out. I think that's got to be left... Or you can sh- you can start you can show just like the the beginnings of it the tease of it, 
Um, but I think you've got to keep Darth Vader off off the map. Well, the other thing I think that this universe so badly needs, mm -hmm. right, is the good intention behind the building of the Empire. And I, and I think that we need we need a lens into that. Mm -hmm. In fact, we might even need Obi-Wan to help us. Mm -hmm. Like, that maybe he believes initially in the cause of the Empire. Yeah. Right? And that that there is civil war, that mm -hmm. there are planets attacking each other, right. and that there is disruption, and that but for the Empire... Right. They need be... a, yeah. a standing army to yep. police the entire galaxy. Right. Uh, that they didn't have it before, and that's what the Empire... And I, and I think that that would add immensely to you know our enjoyment later on, because then at least we can say, oh, okay, well, the Empire is not just this large mm -hmm. tyrannical behemoth that's doing stuff, right? Right. Um, it had a purpose behind it, and even Obi Wan, mm -hmm. you know, thought it was the right thing to do yeah. um, at the time. Um, so that's what, I mean, that's the story I would like to see right. um, in in the prequels. I don't want to see Han. Don't want to see Yoda. I don't want to see C-3PO. No, we don't um, need these. We need... Like, I don't need these, right, these sort of yeah. callbacks. I don't need Legolas. <laughs> yes. Right? Thank you. We don't need... Right, I don't need to see Legolas in, in the Star Wars prequels. It's okay to save those. Yes. Like, they, they can be their own films, right. actually. <laughs> yeah. Like, we don't need that through line across them. Um, no, I agree. And I... What I really wanted was for, in the third movie, for the big sort of climactic event, the big sort of revelation that wouldn't spoil anything in the mm -hmm. other one, but would tie through that that visual cue, would be we see the first Star Destroyer. Yes. That'd be perfect. Um, because of what that symbol, that was the symbol of the Empire, was this one massive ship bigger than anything the universe had seen before that could just by itself, just like once it entered your solar system... That was it. It could bombard you from space. It could destroy your like, like you had to submit to this guy. And we didn't need to see the Death Star, right. like that. Let that be in Star Wars, but show us the first Star Destroyer, and how that could just wipe out like a local police force, a local planetary uh, defense fleet, or something like that. And and then you can also show how that could be corrupted and mm -hmm. how that could turn into a sort of fascistic. Abuse of, yeah, especially if it shows up as a as a peacekeeper. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, that's oh, <laughs> right? hey, I want to see that movie. <laughs> but one of the things that I really liked about um, Star Wars was that there were people, right, that were in those roles that were, you know, that were flying these Tie Fighters, that were manning the Death Star, that were working on the Star Destroyers, right, and the I was like, oh, they these are all people who signed up to work like they don't look like slaves like they don't look like mindless drones they um or clones mm -hmm. they are people who are doing a job and they probably i would be willing to bet a lot of them mm -hmm. believe in the cause of the empire and are willing to die um for the cause of the empire that's kind of cool yeah. um and because i do want to see battles between people who care about the principles that they're fighting over mm -hmm. and both believe that they are justified in what they're because that's interesting. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting kind of conflict. You know, fighting a nameless evil, especially in the form of literally faceless clones. Right. Or um, machines. Or which machines, it, right. Like, it, that's, and that was a problem. It, it's, they're both machines. Both right. sides of that right. war. It was just robots or robots with skin. Right. And here's the thing. That war happens, mm -hmm. right, in the history of the Star Wars universe. Mm -hmm. You have this war between 
you know, this impossible army of robots, mm-hmm. and in order to fight it, you need to produce an army of equally, mm-hmm. you know, undefeatable clones, and it's awful. And you know, the, maybe the pyrrhic victory of the of the Star Wars universe, mm-hmm. you know, because what in the end have you won, right. right? When you win a battle like that. So, that's my my thought on prequels. I think that they are inherently troubled um, before they even get off the ground that they are by their nature sequels and in fact I would almost dare someone Mm -hmm. to make a true prequel before the original films are made (laughs) I don't think you can do it well it's you'd have to then it's not a prequel you'd have to call it the prologue right (laughs) you would have to tell people this is not the main movie this is what happens before the main movie Actually, David Goyer said that about Man of Steel. He said he's not Superman yet. Right. This is what happens before he becomes Superman. Okay, and everyone hated that. <laughs> everyone said, like, you, David Goyer, and now he's not writing the next one. <sighs> Damn it. So, I mean, I, I said that, that's, I, I don't even know if it's possible. I don't even know if it's possible to release a film like that. Where the intention is, this is not the story, mm-hmm. this is the information before the story. I don't even know if we can, can conceive of that as well. Because, because in order to do that, you have to, you have to expect that the story, you're, the main story you're telling is somehow incomplete. That you need knowledge that you're not getting from that story. And if you, have, if you need knowledge that you're not getting in that story, then that story is flawed. So yeah, the prequel. I think that is another. Pre- is the prequel presumes that something might be wrong with the original, like that you didn't get enough of the original film. So, my my premise is is something that can't really exist. I mean, the other thing is you'd have to you'd have to have written the films. You have to write the main films first. First, find the flaw, or find the missing. Interesting piece. Mm-hmm. Okay, another another example. Yep. Hannibal Rising. Okay. That was a prequel to the Hannibal series. Right, of right, books right, and right, right. Did that work as a prequel to Red Dragon and the Silence of the Lambs? No. I mean, so again, it should allow me to better understand this character and the way he acts, right? And so, what do we get from Hannibal Rising? Mm-hmm. That lets me better understand Hannibal Lecter in *The Silence of the Lambs*. I need to, I need to brush up on that movie, but I didn't enjoy it enough to want to see it a second time. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I honestly, I don't think it did. I remember feeling like it told a story. It told like the story it told was fine about this yes. character, yeah. but I didn't come away from that movie thinking that is Hannibal Lecter from The Silence of the Lambs. No, well, I also, I don't understand how the character from Hannibal Rising becomes. Right, Like, right. there has to be... Like, it showed me, like, it's an interesting character study of a psychopath who becomes yes. a killer, yep. but not that one in the cell with Clarice. No, because there has to be some kind of fundamental change that happens to him from the end of Hannibal Rising right. to where we see him right. later. And so... I, I, again, like I, I'm looking for something—a decision, an action, a a phrase he uses, a moment where he withholds action mm-hmm. that is based on this original story you've told me, right? right? And 
I don't a relic he holds on to right, right from his past that um, mm-hmm. maybe starts him on his murderous something that starts him on the journey mm-hmm. you know really I mean I guess we get part of that but I just right. and also again like Darth Vader is do we need to see behind do we need to see what's behind this monster okay and actually this like, is this is actually another great point which is whether this is a flaw in character design or just something that that works and so mm-hmm. but that there if we take characters like Vader mm-hmm. like Boba Fett mm-hmm. right a lot of the intrigue around those characters is in the mystery sure that surrounds them mm-hmm. right and we get to figure out what their stories were right right? and I think that when no matter what right whenever you go back and you tell me that story it's never going to be as good as the stories I am that I imagined sure right which is the it's the unseen monster it's like why Jaws worked because you didn't see the shark that well it's why the first alien worked because you didn't see the monster that well it was just and I think that same thing works for Darth Vader and yeah. for Hannibal Lecter. Right. And so I think that part of that, you, I think you have to fundamentally understand what your character is. And if part of the appeal of your character is the mystery of your character, mm-hmm. revealing it cheapens that character. Mm-hmm. But there's this desire to explain everything about our characters. Like, oh, he'll be more complex. He'll be able to understand them. Like, well, no, sometimes the shadows enhance... Right. The characters as opposed to because when we reveal it, we're like, oh, it's a forty-five-year-old dude <laughs> with a limp. Um, oh, that's that's nowhere near as interesting as you know, Captain Mysterious. You know, the, <laughs> the voice in the darkness. <laughs> like, oh, he's a dad. He's got. He works at a bank. Um, right? <laughs> like that. That doesn't enhance the character. It cheapens it. Right. And so, um, and so I think that you, and I think this goes to the heart of sort of what, the, you know, like the question around prequels is that if you've got characters who are enhanced by the mystery around them, mm-hmm. you need to pick other characters <laughs> to tell your story about, right? And, and to focus on, right. um, because otherwise you're actually damaging your own property by diminishing a character that had one time been cool and now is... He works at a fry station. Um. <laughs> Can you think of any prequels that worked? Any prequels that were better? Well, let's name some prequels. We were talking about X-Men oh, First X-Men Class. X-Men First Class. X-Men First Class works! Right, it but does. why? Why? Right? Because... Well, you're not talking about characters that are shrouded in mystery. You're not reveal like though X Men First Class doesn't reveal anything we don't already know about the characters. It just enhances what we yeah. like what we already knew. That's yeah. That's the exact point um, that we were making. Yeah. yeah. Because honestly, yeah. to me, the in the X Men, um, Professor X and Magneto are secondary characters. They're just kind of in the background, directing the characters you care about, right? Because you want to see Wolverine, you want to see Jean, you want to see. Cyclops, I guess. Um, you know, and you like, and and Storm and Rogue, right? And then with the villains, it's like it's um, Starscream. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally blanked on X Men villains. Mystique. Mystique, right? You care about Mystique. You care about um, Darth Maul. <laughs> this is why I was in the other room. <laughs> That was Angela Drew butting into the end of my conversation with Paul. 
You heard Angela and I talk about the teaser to The Force Awakens in the last episode. Once she joined our talk, it quickly turned into analysis of the X-Men franchise and our problems with The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. Good discussion, it was pretty funny, but not as topical, because we went on for almost an hour and never mentioned Star Wars once. The benefit of having my own show, though, is I get to have the last word, which in this case means summarizing and clarifying my feelings on the prequel films in general. First, as much as I was excited for more Star Wars films back in 1999, and I was feverishly excited, in hindsight, I don't think a prequel trilogy was necessary. I'm much more interested in progressing the story rather than backtracking. Tell me what happens next, not what came before. Because I already know what came before. Star Wars told me everything I need to know. The Rebels were fighting against the tyranny of the Empire, even though they were badly outnumbered and outgunned, and the only hope for the galaxy was the last surviving Jedi Knight. I get it. That's crystal clear. If, however, you accept that Star Wars was part four in a series and you felt the compulsion to show parts one, two, and three, you need to put a whole lot of thought into what story you're telling, and whose story, and for whom. You could focus on the adventures of young Obi-Wan Kenobi. It would be cool to see his training and becoming a Jedi under more optimal circumstances than what Luke had in the classic trilogy. However, if you showed Obi-Wan training with Yoda, then you spoil Yoda for The Empire Strikes Back. The story could start with Obi-Wan as a Jedi already, and show him training Anakin Skywalker, showing their friendship, but I think you have to end the prequels before Anakin succumbs to the dark side and becomes Darth Vader. Or, the prequel trilogy could be set after the rise of the Empire and Darth Vader, and tell the story of the birth of the Rebel Alliance. Maybe focus on Princess Leia's father, Bail Organa, when Leia was a young girl on Alderaan. We could see the Empire's abuse of authority, and the soldiers and senators who secretly oppose the Emperor. We could potentially see Darth Vader traveling the galaxy, murdering Jedi with an elite team of hunters, possibly including Boba Fett. But in order to maintain the cover story that Vader killed Luke Skywalker's father, we need to start with Vader already being a servant of the dark side, already disfigured and cloaked in the black armor that keeps him alive. That could be a great film. I think a lot of fans would love to see that kind of story. I wouldn't necessarily, though, because I'm not that interested in stories where the protagonist is evil, at least not in science fiction and fantasy. And what made Darth Vader so captivating in the Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back was that he wasn't so much a character as a force of evil. He wasn't a rounded, three-dimensional person. He was a contrivance of the plot in an utterly badass costume. You can do that with a supporting character or a villain, but you can't do that with the star of the film. A movie starring Darth Vader in his quest to wipe out the Rebellion and or the Jedi would, by necessity, need to change him. It would have to humanize him. And that can't happen. Only a confrontation with Luke Skywalker can humanize Darth Vader. So, ultimately, what I think Paul and I came to agree on was that a good quality prequel film is possible, but extraordinarily difficult. A prequel is not going to mean the same to every audience. For those who see the original film first, a prequel is in fact a sequel told out of sequence that enhances or explains some aspect of the original film. With the passage of time, though, the filmmakers cannot count on the idea that the audience will have seen the original film first. You need to be able to watch the prequel before or after the classic film without disrupting your enjoyment of either. So the prequel must be judicious enough in the way it reveals the truth about characters and events that it doesn't spoil information in the original film. 
A prequel also runs the very real risk of showing the audience too much about a character or event. In this case, a character's behavior, or identity, in the original film is revealed so thoroughly that it becomes anticlimactic later in the series. If you watch the Star Wars films in numerical sequence, there is no power to the scene when Darth Vader says, I am your father, and there's no magic to the first appearance of Yoda in The Empire Strikes Back. These moments in those original films were as important for the audience as they were to Luke. A prequel that doesn't keep these ideas in mind betrays the movie it is trying to enhance, and then both films are tarnished. Wow, what an ending! Who'd have thought Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father? Oh, thank, you. Oh, thank you, Mr. Blow the picture for me. That's all for now. I want to thank Paul Scavito for appearing on this episode. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to leave feedback, you can post a comment for this episode on the show's blog page, deadboffinspies.blogspot.com. You can also leave a review of the show on iTunes. Any comments left on the blogger page or iTunes may be read aloud by me in an upcoming episode. So let me know if you don't want your name or message read on the air. Also, you can contact me privately through the blog page using the contact form on the right-hand column. Dead Boffin Spies is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or Walt Disney Company, and the views expressed on this show are solely the opinion of the speaker. All music and audio clips are used for entertainment purposes and are believed covered under fair use, and I make no money from this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you for listening, and until next time, may the Force something something. problem is that especially with properties as big as Lord of the Rings, as big as Star Wars the expectations are so high right? Mm-hmm. and that you have to make an epic right? you have to make this three part story with this ridiculous overarching you know, sort of mechanism inside of it what if you just made a movie yeah. right? and I wonder I wonder where that pressure came from because I, I honestly don't think any any fans demanded that The Hobbit be three movies. No. So was that just Peter Jackson and his creative team, or was that the studio? Like I the studio had to pay so much money for that. Like, do you really think they thought this was a good idea? I mean, it was originally good. The Hobbit was going to be two movies, right. which in itself was too much. <laughs> I, I think it's. I mean, it's got to be the studio, and they. It's all. It's definitely the studio, and it's they're just going for the box office and the DVD releases, and and um, it is working. I mean, they're making they're making money, a ton of money off of it, right? And the fact that if you sit down and watch the whole thing, it's not one, it's not The Hobbit, sure, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it just fundamentally isn't that story. Mm -hmm. It's Thorns. It's not. Um, Bilbo's story, it's Thorin's story right. by far Thorin's story in fact you could edit 
Um, one of the projects that we talked about this is that I want to edit the films down to just the, Hob- the actual Hobbit, right? And I'm pretty certain it'll be like about 75 to 80 minutes of actual footage. Um, but I also think you could edit Bilbo out of yes. these films and yeah. probably have a tighter story about Thorne. Uh, yes. Which would probably be pretty good and call it Thorne. <laughs> um, the dwarf. <laughs> um, on his quest to like, go get his kingdom back. Yeah, that's kind of a cool story, right? Oh, sure. But I'm also going in with different expectations. <laughs> see the Hobbit. I'm going in to see Thorin yeah. kill stuff, and he, since he's a like a dwarf king who's also like this super warrior, mm-hmm. I know what my expectations are. Right, right. Telling me a story about a small thief yeah. who's tagging along right. with much more powerful um, individuals. Well, we right. did kind of see that in Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. Also, the Hobbit was written for a different group. Right, right. Um, but also that okay. So if you boil that down, like, what is Bilbo's function in the story as the thief? Yes. Okay, he does that, like, once <laughs> for, like, a ten-minute scene out of six hours of movie. But he really thieves good in that scene. <laughs> He's the thieviest. He's the thieviest. <laughs> in that particular scene. 